0: Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.
1: Have you ever
2: had to have two enemas in one day? I mean, talking to you twice a day is basically like getting an enema. You talk to me much more than twice yeah, a Yeah, it's day. like six to six t- 80 <laughs> times a day. It's like a lobotomy, which brings me to Ooh.
1: Welcome to
2: Paranormal. Everybody. Welcome, welcome to Paranormal, everyone. And we've got a show for you with your two favorite non-investigative spooky story gals. Yeah. I'm Nicolina. And I'm Marie. And we are now officially on the Sonar Network. And I would just like to say, as someone who talks about astrology a lot on this podcast, (laughs) this episode will be aired officially at the beginning of a new moon cycle. Like the lunar eclipse is happening tonight. This is the closing or reopening of chapters. And the fact that we're going to be on a network, name sonar of all names you know that's just very coincidental I just I don't know there's just so much happening in the the atmosphere that I feel is like aligning right now
1: yeah I'm super excited to join this network I think our listeners are going to be really really happy with the content that we're going to be able to create on this network and also we're part of like this awesome family of shows now like We've talked about these shows before on the podcast. We've talked about Spooked. We've talked about History Defeats Itself. And now we get to be part of their family. So, yeah. and then with like a host of other podcasts that are also really, really fun and cool. So, I'm, I could not be more excited that we are joining
2: this network or joined Agreed. today officially is our joining day. Today is officially our joining day. Well, when you hear this episode, it is, but we already feel very much a part. Of the family, of the Sonar family, and yeah, we're so excited to, to to be part of it. So you guys, I mean, check them out. Obviously, there's lots of other content that they create, so check out their podcast because there's tons, tons that we haven't even um, talked about on this podcast yet, but we definitely will be. So yeah, check it out. And for this episode, we decided to do something um, not different, the same as we usually do, but... <laughs> but super exciting episode, I think. I mean, I was really hyped when I was looking up these stories. The theme of the episode, if you want to share, Murray, you can go ahead. Sure. So Nicolina um, had brought
1: up that we should do stories about haunted hospitals or haunted asylums. And I was like, yes, let's do that. That sounds right up our alley. I don't think we've ever had an episode dedicated solely to that. I think maybe we've told one or two stories about
2: a haunted hospital. Yeah we may have touched on that on on a haunted hospital but I don't really recall any specific names. I think we did Waverly Hills I'm pretty sure Mm, mm, but that's the
1: only one I can remember but.
2: No I was just gonna say after I watched the movie Dr. Sleep which is the continuation of The Shining so it's like a sequel to the, The Shining which I really didn't have i had very high expectations for given that the shining is such a cult classic and i don't know how you follow that up but it was actually a very very good sequel if anyone has watched it and in it ewan mcgregor i believe is he's the main character of it and he basically he he has a job in a nursing home so he basically um he does the same thing that that in that reddit story that we told last week oh okay, where he, okay. Like, Get, he's he's with them at the end, so he sees kind of the goings on of that. But he's the boy Danny from The Shining. Oh! So did you it's know? His, his, yeah. What?
1: Did that I've never seen The Shining.
2: Oh well, you should.
1: I feel like there's like a whole list of
2: movies that I tell people like, "Did you know I've never seen that movie?" And they freak out. Yeah, I feel like there's a few movies i brought up that I'm like, "Did you not have a childhood? Like, what is happening?" <laughs> I had a very, uh, I had a childhood, just like, I mean, The Shining isn't something you should watch really as a child anyway, so I won't say that, but...
1: (laughs) I mean, like I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons and the Same. Much Me the Much Music channel, which is the Canadian version of MTV, was locked on what? the television. You needed a password to watch it. Um, so I didn't get to see a lot of cool stuff until I was older. <laughs> so. Oh
2: my the Much Music one that 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 surprises me a little. But yeah,
1: until I was older. What like, would in Debra D. Giovanni
2: say about that?
1: Oh, she I mean my older brother figured out the password, so we would break what? in and watch video on trial. Shout out,
2: Cruz. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. So let's let's get into it. Well, first we got to do our horoscopes. So let's get into that first. I've pulled yours up.
1: Okay. Um. So today may be filled with "I told you so." You could find fault with others who haven't dealt with the truth of a situation. Be careful about accusing someone of the very thing that you're guilty of Leo. Penetrating emotions will cut to the heart of the matter and there will be no way to escape the hole you dig for yourself. Don't criticize other until you take an honest look at yourself.
2: Like does that? I mean I, I, I guess so. I, I will say that I am very easy to point out other people's flaws or inconsistencies and at times I have the same flaws and inconsistencies but also maybe a little bit more aware of them and whether or not I improve upon them is, is debatable but I don't know I don't I don't know if I I feel like I do bite my tongue a lot with a lot of people like I try not to make people feel bad about their shortcomings or if they like have an off day or if their work isn't done like perfectly like I'm usually pretty understanding of that like I'm like all right yeah like I get it like I don't but there's I do have a point of like a breaking point with people where I'm like okay I've given you like five chances now like it's not even three strikes it's like more than three where I'm just like, okay, like now you're just taking advantage of the fact that I don't really care, (laughs) which I do care, but I don't want it to be a big deal. Like I'd rather just like not make it a big deal and you improve or change the behavior or change your work ethic or whatever on your own.
1: I I don't know. I feel like the way that it was like written out too, where it was like, don't hold don't point out other people's faults unless you look at your own I feel like you're one you're a person who one of the only people I know who looks internally at her faults often Mm -hmm. Um, like 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 hourly
3: yeah (laughs) like you
1: might not voice them out to people every hour that you think of something No, no but like I know that you're you're constantly like doing internal work or constantly like
2: Um, I'm a very self-aware person overall yeah yeah
1: that's what I'm trying to say yes
2: (laughs) so I don't know if that really resonated but (laughs) I also just feel like that's just a a Leo stereotype yeah um yeah that that horoscope in and of itself I feel Leos are just well known for being delusional that they're perfect and everybody else isn't I'm sure it applies to many many of us not me, because I'm perfect. No, I'm kidding. I just feel like I No, I'm not. So I don't claim to be. But yeah, I know. Whatever. I know. Anyway, okay, <laughs> yeah. moving on. Gemini. Mm-hmm. If you're experiencing emotional upheaval, Gemini, you may take heart in knowing that other people are going through their own emotional turmoil as well. You will know that you aren't alone in your quest for emotional stability. Share your feelings with others instead of shutting them up inside. It will help you feel better.
1: Okay. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean yes, that that's going to apply to me today <laughs> today. <laughs> what
2: this does apply.
1: had a super long, like heaving cry in the shower, and then when I got out of the shower, called my sister crying and she just listened to me because i thought that we were going to have to put my cat like i really thought that we were going to have to put my cat down i thought she was dying um that's and then horrifying. I, no she just she just needed two enemas um uh, back to back <laughs> i i truly thought she was dying and then the only thing i could think was um, they're not going to let me in to the clinic because of this lockdown you can bring your pets to the door and then they take your pets in they're not going to let me into the clinic. And then when they have to put her down, I'm not going to be with her. And so I was like sobbing uncontrollably. I not of that. That's horrible. Yeah, I was, I literally am going to cry again right now. I'm also hormonal. But um, it was like the worst feeling in the world, just like thinking that she wouldn't have me there to like make her feel better. So um, so I called my sister. That is brutal. I can't imagine. horrifying. Yeah. Um, crying and my sister um just obviously was worried too but she just calmed me down and she was like she's probably just sick she's probably just sick and she was right she just you know was extremely backed up and needed her colon cleansed and now she's just uh snuggling away in a bookshelf right now in one of the shelves so um she's been sleeping since we got home but um, but yes it did help to call someone and emotionally unleash myself because Fair. i'm going through like on a good day i'm emotional yeah before i was pregnant yeah on a good day i was emotional Fair. so yeah anyway yes that rang true for me today <laughs>
2: all right perfect okay. well um let's let's get going on our our let's go. haunted asylums slash hospitals I believe you are up first, so I'm excited because I have no idea what this place is or about. Yes,
1: yes, yes.
2: Okay, so
1: I am doing the story of the Rolling Hills Asylum, which is located in Bethany, New York. I think it's pretty close to Buffalo from what I'm understanding. Um, My information I got from Rolling Hills Asylum, sorry, rollinghillsasylum.com, a BuzzFeed Unsolved a Wikipedia or Wikipedia and a travelchannel.com uh, article. So before becoming famously known as the rolling Hills asylum, the property was originally named the Genesee County poor farm. So if I refer to it as a poorhouse or uh, the Genesee County poor farm, it's the same place. A poorhouse often housed orphaned children, families, destitute, elderly, physically handicapped, mentally unstable morally corrupt and sometimes even criminals and these institutions were situated on the grounds of a poor farm where able-bodied residents were required to work and these farms were very common in the united states in the 19th and early 20th centuries these were usually government-run facilities um for the support and housing of dependent or needy people they were typically run by local government entities like the county or municipalities and places like this were very very common before the social security program in the 1930s in the united states so on december 4th in 1826 the genesee county board of supervisors met in bethany new york to establish a county poorhouse A brick building, which was originally a stagecoach tavern, which was located near the corner of Bethany Center Road and Raymond Road, ended up being the site that they selected because it was the geographical center of the county, and the following people were eligible for assistance from the poorhouse. Habitual drunkards, lunatics, and then in brackets it says people who by disease, grief, or accident lost the use of reason. Or from old age, sickness or weakness were so weak of mind that they were incapable of governing or managing their affairs. Paupers, which is a person with no job or or no mean of income. State paupers, which is somebody who has no income source because they were blind, lame, old or disabled, or vagrants were allowed to live there as well. In 1828... Genesee County constructed a stone building attached to the poorhouse for the confinement of lunatics and a repository for paupers who had committed misconduct, so somebody who broke the law because they didn't have a means of income. The insane were also housed at the county home until 1887, when the Board of Supervisors agreed to send, in quotes, persons suffering with acute insanity somewhere else in the state. The Genesee County Poor Farm was a self-sufficient working farm and woods that spanned over 200 acres. They provided food and fuel. And because of this, the actual cost to take care of each person was really low. It only cost about $1.08 per week per person back in 1871. So I'm sure that's much more money, but I'm going to say like with absolutely no research $10 $10 a week to take care of somebody that's not a lot I, feel. I think it's
2: like inflation $20 is like week? 50% like? or something like that I'm oh not is sure. it from the 1800s I th- or even something along those lines it's probably between okay yeah I think it's probably 50 probably $50 or $80
0: or something okay
2: still not not a
1: lot yeah um per week to house and feed and care for someone So the staff did their best to keep unsafe patients away from the general population, but there were still a lot of problems. And as a result, they built a solitary confinement cell in the building, and the people who lived, actually anybody who lived at the poorhouse, were referred to as inmates, no matter why they were housed there. So... People who were physically able-bodied would work on the farm, and many would build and make things to sell to help offset some of the living expenses of living there. They raised pigs, draft horses, chickens, and ducks. They had vegetable and fruit crops. They canned jams, jellies, and meats. All of these were part of their chores. There was a bakery and a wood shop where coffins were made in the wood shop for use as needed on the site there and to sell to the local mortuaries. The county would bury people who had no family and records indicate that there was once a cemetery that was located on the property, but the particulars are almost non-existent. An 1886 proceeding states, the burying ground we have improved by building a fence in front and grading and leveling the ground as much as we could without injury to the grapes. And then, then a memorial site was created in the Genesee County Park. And on June 6, 2004, when five headstones dated from 1887 to 1888 were returned to the county, the Genesee County historians dedicated a historic historical marker honoring those who died while living in the county home from 1827 until the facility was closed in 1974 when residents were relocated to new f- facilities. The cemetery for the poorhouse has faded away as the stones crumpled, the grass grew, and the forest replanted. No one was around to care for those who had so long ago been forgotten. These people, though they were poor, ill, and sometimes abandoned, do deserve to be remembered. An actual cemetery register or plot map has never been discovered. So they were just burying people willy-nilly that didn't have family or anyone to come forward to claim them. Right. Right. The spirits of some of the disturbed souls who lived here are thought to inhabit the halls of rolling hills. One tragic story involved an inmate named Roy. Roy suffered from gigantism, a physical deformity that left him with protruding facial features, large hands and feet, and a height of over seven feet. Roy was the son of a prominent banker, and his physical appearance was an embarrassment to his family. At age 12, Roy was dropped at the Genesee County home and was left there until his death at age 62. Roy liked opera music and was generally kind. Today, his hulking shadow is still witnessed by visitors who report seeing him lurking throughout the building. On the first floor of Rolling Hills in the East Wing, you'll find Hattie's room. So there's a woman named Sharon who now owns Rolling Hills. And she said that she once left a tape recorder in Hattie's room and caught a distinct voice of an elderly woman calling out, hello? It could be the voice of another patient from the nursing home, but she believes that it was Hattie who was blind and would call out to the nurses if she needed them. On the second floor in the east wing is the old men's dormitory, which is often referred to as the shadow hallway. Light gray, medium gray, dark gray, or pitch black shadow people have been spotted here. Sharon said that they come in and out of doorways, they walk across the hall, sometimes they'll poke an arm or a leg out, and sometimes they will crawl on the floor. And yes, sometimes they do crawl
2: towards you. Ew. (laughs) Oh no. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) There's that was a delayed also- thank you. It was, oh, no, <laughs> thank you. Not, oh, no, thank you. No, thank you.
1: There's also apparently an old woman who haunts the ladies' restroom. And there are toys that move around by themselves in the basement as if children are playing with them. There's even a rocking horse in what's called the Christmas room. This is a room where the orphaned children would go to visit Santa Claus, and people have also reported seeing a shapeless black mass in the Christmas room as well. Other personalities in uh, Rolling Hills were not as harmless. In the infirmary wing, there was a nurse known for her cruelty. Emmy Altworth, better known as Nurse Emmy, was hated and feared by the staff and inmates. Rumors began circulating that Nurse Emmy was involved in the dark arts and was performing black magic and satanic rituals. It is said that she would purposefully injure her patients. Being a poorhouse, when the inmates died, there was little or no money for a proper burial. Over the decades, thousands were buried in a potter's field on the property. Most of the graves were unmarked and the dead still lie below. Today, there's a monument in the nearby Genesee County Park that holds a few of the headstones from the facility, so they did manage to save a few of them. Besides the many ghosts, this monument is the only reminder that people died under this roof. And then I did manage to find some testimonials of people who visited Rolling Hills Asylum and the paranormal experiences that they had there So a woman named Mary Fleming Dutton wrote in 1998, my fiance, now my husband had an herb shop called the Raven's Nest in the room across from what is a little restaurant. A grandson of someone offered to take us upstairs. When I told him about noises, I was hearing, we went upstairs and the owners had taken all the doors off and laid them inside of the rooms. My husband and the boy, I can't remember his name, were walking beside me. I've been psychic since I fell six feet onto concrete, splitting my head open. I was hearing a low murmuring. I stopped in front of one room and saw an old metal tub with a high back, an elderly man sitting there in steaming hot water, eyes closed, and skin bright red. The woman in white that I had been seeing was leaning over him with a strange smile on her face. Everything happened very fast. The vision was gone, replaced by a room with rubble about the floor. I never saw the woman in front of our shop again. I did always hear murmuring, squeaking of wheelchairs, and children laughing. I seem to draw spirits to me if they are around, maybe because they know I can hear them. It's good to know that this building is. Sorry. It is good to know that this building and its history will be taken care of. I'm sure the spirits will be a bit happier. Well, some of them. I have more things to tell about experiences there, but that's for next time. So I think what she's alluding to is that. For a brief moment in history, um, I believe it was in the '90s, they actually had stores set up inside of the asylum, like a shopping center, almost. Right. Okay, that makes and sense. And then, yeah, and then they, I didn't include that because I didn't I didn't realize that it was going to pertain to any um, story, but it did. Um, and then they closed up all the shops, and Sharon bought bought it, and now she owns it there. So, on May twenty second, twenty ten, Kurt Phillip piak wrote him and his two other friends bobby and tommy were in the christmas room doing evps and upon review they came across an evp which says kill them which is terrifying so he writes on may 22nd 2010 i was in the christmas room in the basement where i was using my k2 meter and digital recorder just asking random questions I was getting some answers, such as little bangs and little noises, here and there, but what I caught on my digital recorder is unexplainable. It really sounds like a small male child repeating what I had just said, and I was the only male in the room, let alone in the whole basement area. You'll hear me say, oh, thank you, because after asking for a noise, we got a response with a noise. Then you'll hear the small child say, oh, thank you. This is extremely clear, but headphones always help. Then Frankie Porcaro from the Adirondack Ghost Hunter Society wrote that in July, or on July 28th of 2010, he says, my team members and I were in the shock therapy room and we caught the organ in the upstairs playing two notes on our EVP recorder. It's one of the best EVPs I've ever caught. Joyce Selipak, uh wrote that, I just wanted to say that yesterday, August 3rd, 2010, we had stopped by Rolling Hill's to inquire about a tour. We drove around the building and we were greeted by the new owner in the back of the building. As I was talking to her, I had heard from my car yet what sounded like grunting noises. My friend just prior to this heard a woman scream. I didn't hear it as I was talking to the new owner. It was around eight 30 or eight o'clock PM. It was a little overcast as the rain was expected South and East of Buffalo. We since decided to take a tour, hopefully this weekend if possible. I can't wait. So stay tuned. We'll post again with any evidence. And then Norman Forteza wrote It was August 28th, 2010. We were in George's room on the third floor. People with me were myself, uh, Mike, and Bill, with past intel John Brightman and Marlene of NE Paranormal Society, and another man named Mike. Who was an independent investigator? It was probably around a little past midnight, clear night. We were using John Brightman of the New England Paranormal Society's Frank box to try to communicate with George. And it seemed like we might have had two spirits coming through on the ghost box. Uh, apparently, one of the men says gazoon tight when somebody from their group sneezes. <laughs> nice. Uh, a polite ghost. Yeah, polite. <laughs> Very <laughs> Those polite. are the ghosts of some of the ghosts of Rolling Hills and um, some testimonials from people who've been there.
2: Cool. Very cool. Yeah. Um, well, I think then maybe we should take a little bit of a break because mine's also pretty, pretty heavy. And mm-hmm. uh, before we get into it, yeah, let's take a little bit of, of a breather. And guys, go grab a drink or you know, just. Go pee. Chill. Yeah. Chill. <laughs> Whatever you gotta do, you've got like 30 seconds.
3: <laughs> As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.
2: So I decided to do the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. It's also, its short form is T-A-L-A, so TALA. So I'm just going to, if I say TALA, that's what it's short form for. And um, so in the wake of a reformist wave propelled across the land by remarkable mental health crusader Dorothea Dix, the Virginia General Assembly allocated the princely sum of $125,000 to build the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in the early 1850s, purchasing 269 acres along with the West Fork River opposite downtown Weston. Dr. Thomas Kirkbride, whose thinking dominated the physical design of asylums and care for the mentally ill in the United States for half a century, was hired as advisor. Renowned architect Richard Soden Andrews designed the Gothic Tudor blue sandstone structure following the Kirkbride plan. Long wings in a shallow V formation arranged staggered so all patients had access to unobstructed sunlight and fresh air. The building itself was meant to be a special apparatus for the care of lunacy supported by highly improved and tasteful ornamented grounds. Kirkbride, a humanist and the first doctor in the United States to recognize mental illness as a disease that could potentially be cured, believed that those afflicted were not disabled from appreciating books, nor from enjoying many intellectual and physical comforts. And with institutionalization central to his plan, he sought to create an egalitarian environment where patients would be treated with dignity, compassion, and respect. Construction began in 1858 on the main structure, known as the Kirkbride Building but came to a screeching halt when the Civil War broke out in April of 1861, and the partially constructed asylum was used to establish a union post, which was strategically located near several important roadways. The completed southern wing of the asylum provided barracks, and the main foundation served as a stable for horses. Confederate raids in 1862 and 1863 temporarily disrupted Union control and stripped the asylum of all food and clothing intended for its first batch of patients. Finally, the hospital admitted its first patients in 1864, though construction continued until 1881. With the war over in 1865 and the soldiers gone, building on the asylum boomed, saving the western area from post-war economic depression and the asylum would remain the economic heart of Weston until it closed 130 years later. With understanding of mental illness still in its infancy, a bewildering array of maladies and complaints were treated at the asylum between 1864 and 1889, including masturbation, laziness, fits, desertion of husband, superstition, and the dreaded menstrual derangement. They're so fast. Oh, like, I'd be gone. So menstrual derangement? I get that. Done. But like Yeah. Like done. <laughs> I am impaired every single month. Anyway. As responsibility for the unproductive, non-compliant, mentally impaired, and genuinely mentally ill shifted from families and private organizations to the state. Asylums like Tala became dumping grounds for the damaged and unwanted. Originally designed to house 250 with privacy and comfort, the hospital held 717 patients by 1880, then 1,661 in 1938, over 1,800 in 1949, and a dangerously overcrowded 2,600 in 1950. So basically, these people were not being cared for the way this asylum was intended for. So many people just left to just figure their lives out, and they don't, like, really know what's going on, I'm sure. I mean, they're just masturbating all the time. And and just completely deranged after leaving their husbands.
1: Yeah, completely gone. (laughs)
2: Um, So... In keeping with the Kirkbride ideal of self-sufficiency and to keep up with a growing population, more buildings began to sprout up within the property, including a greenhouse that supplied fresh produce, a geriatric center for the elderly, and those suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's, a large kitchen facility and cafeteria, a building for the court-ordered criminally insane, and a state-of-the-art medical center complete with morgue and autopsy room. Tala also had a separate tuberculosis building. Due to the contagious nature of the disease, it was necessary to keep these patients isolated from the general population. This building differed in design from the others with its open-aired wings and screened in sun porches. Today, this building remains relatively intact and hosts the local Halloween haunted house attraction each fall. The growing community of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum encompassed more than just the land on which it sat. Tala was the main employer for the city of Weston. It was a symbolic relationship, with the hospital dependent on the city for its supplies and employees, and the town economically tethered to the hospital. Everyone benefited from this relationship except for patients, who, crammed into an overcrowded, understaffed, underfunded facility, cried out for help, and in some cases, justice. Death was no stranger to Tala, and several murders were committed inside the walls. The deteriorating hospital, designated in 1990 as a National Historic Landmark, became unsupportable and mercifully closed its doors in 1994. The facility sat abandoned for years, a long deteriorating eyesore in the community whose economy had revolved around it for so long. Finally, the West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources put Tala up for auction in 2007. Contractor Joe Jordan made the winning bid of $1.5 million with the intention of revitalizing the property while preserving as much of the history as possible. But a series of fires and code violations thwarted his plans for a successful historical facility. Those who spent time in the building regularly reported seeing apparitions of nurses, doctors, and patients roaming the staggered corridors and hearing anguished cries echoing through the hallways. Taking a cue from shuttered institutional facilities like the Ohio State Reformatory and Waverly Hills Sanatorium, Jordan began offering historic tours and overnight ghost hunts, folding revenue back into the facility for repairs and restoration. As its reputation quickly spread, Tala attracted the attention of the media. The TAPS team from Ghost Hunters filmed and investigated Tala in 2008, and Ghost Adventures followed in 2009 with a live televised seven-hour investigation on Halloween Eve. Both teams believed the building to be haunted, and there have been countless subsequent reports of ghostly activity at Tala by visitors and staff. Thousands of suffering souls entered the hospital. Seeking refuge of salvation, others were dumped there, thrown away like unwanted trash. With, su- with such a thick mixture of energy and emotion, Tala offers a rich potpourri of paranormal phenomena. The Civil War left more than scars behind in Weston. Tortured moans of the wounded, Heavy booted footfalls, misty forms, and ominous shadows permeate the Civil War section of the building. Nor are the upper floors as vacant as they seem. The spirits of at least two vicious murderers remain, trapped in an earthly purgatory for their crimes. Slewfoot, a cunning psychotic, murderously lashed out in a lavatory. The phantom of an even more depraved, unnamed multi murderer haunts the dungeon like seclusion cells. Some of the most despondent asylum patients thought suicide a way out, but they too remain stuck indefinitely between this world and the next. Their desperation seeps from the walls like water from broken pipes. Guides and visitors feel that some spirits come and go, perhaps using the facility as a doorway. Some stop by for a short while before passing on to, their, to other destinations while others cannot or will not move on, embedded in the very foundation of the asylum. A still controversial treatment was used extensively at the hospital. The ice pick, lobotomy, was a crude procedure where a sharp one- or two-pronged device was driven through the orbital socket of the eye and into the brain with a sharp blow, causing permanent damage thought to relieve some of the patient's more severe symptoms. In 1952, one doctor performed 228 such lobotomies during a two-week period in West Virginia. The aptly named Operation Ice Pick became part of the grisly legacy of Dr. Walter Freeman, Tala's most notorious doctor. That is that is terrifying. That is so truly is like
1: fucking terrifying. Cringing. Like I'm getting um I get, like, weak in the knees when I hear this. Yes,
2: yes, it's disgusting. Yeah. So given what many patients experienced here, it comes as no surprise that tormented energies have been left behind. Most famously, however, is the lonely spirit of a young girl named Lily who wanders the halls looking for a playmate. She makes herself known to visitors in several ways, including interacting with a menagerie of toys set out in the room dedicated to her memory. I'm not sure where it all started, but Lily talks, explains Zach McCormick, former TALA tour guide and paranormal enthusiast. The most popular area on the first floor is Lily's room, located in the eastern corner of Ward 4, a step between Ward 1 and the older Civil War section. The staff has turned this room into a sort of shrine to their resident spirit, honoring her life and memory. Legend has it that Lily was a little girl who spent all or most of her short, sad life inside the walls of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Some believe she was dropped off at the hospital like an unwanted stray by parents who couldn't or wouldn't care for her. Another story has it that she was born at the hospital shortly after her mother was committed, taken in, and cared for by hospital staff until she died tragically of pneumonia at the age of nine. After her death, her spirit remained inside Tala, the only home she had ever known. Lily likes to play games with visitors and has become especially close to some of the current guides. Her room is a cheery yellow, one of the brightest in the building, although the peeling walls and broken window glass remind you that no living soul occupies this space. And the iron bars on the windows are a stark reminder of the bygone realities of asylum life. The room is stocked with a variety of toys, including a pink and white music box with a miniature ballerina turning point to a tinkling lullaby when the box is opened. The music box sometimes decides to play on its own. Other items such as baby dolls and plastic bouncy balls are scattered around the room. These toys set out as an invitation to play, have been known to move by themselves or in response to commands. Lily will, on occasion, roll the ball back and forth with visitors in an eerie game of catch. Lily seems to delight in these ghostly playdates, and visitors often hear her giggles, equal parts sweet and spine-tingling, echoing down the halls. Tala guides have developed a special protective bond with the girl's spirit, demanding that she be treated with kindness and respect. Lily remembers and favors frequent visitors, interacting with them in specific ways. Paranormal investigator Aaron Schulzer has investigated the asylum a dozen times. He claims one of Lily's favorite games involves the music box and flashlights. During a recent session, Aaron asked Lily if she remembered him, and if so, to please make herself known. He placed flashlights in different areas of the room, set up so that a slight twist on the top would turn them on or off. Aaron wound the music box and began asking questions. A flashlight turned on, indicating Lily was there. As the music slowed, the flashlight dimmed, only to return to full brightness when the music box was wound again. This occurred several times throughout the session. When Aaron asked if Lily was making it happen, he got a positive response. The correlation between the music box and the flashlight was so consistent, Aaron had no doubt Lily was manipulating it. According to an April 2010 episode of Ghost Stories, A paranormal investigative series that aired on Travel Channel, psychic Tammy Wilson first discovered the spirit of a small child named Lily on a tour of the the asylum. The girl was about nine years old, wearing a white dress. Her mother's first name started with the letter E. An only child of a prominent family from England was brought to the hospital already pregnant. E was told her parents were killed in an accident and couldn't come back for her she had to remain at the asylum where she gave birth. Both mother and daughter lived the remainder of their days at Tala. So this could potentially have been what happened to Lily and why she came to be at the asylum. According to the producers of Ghost Stories, patient records from the 1920s showed a woman, first name beginning with E, was admitted to the hospital while pregnant and later gave birth, possibly a girl, possibly Lily. So. That's just a patient record that they were able to correlate this potential psychics um, story to. The show also interviewed local historian Shelly Bailey, who claimed to have encountered Lily several times, leaving small gifts for her, such as toys and a box of Cracker Jacks, which moved on its own. She heard the distinct sound of a box opening and crunching coming from the same area. A captured EVP politely said, thank you for the snacks. It, it, and was her...
1: me. it was It me. was you.
2: <laughs> Sorry. Marie, snacks? Snacks? I'll be there. I'm there. Shelly and her companions claimed they played a game of catch with Lily using a plastic ball that bounced back and forth for almost 45 minutes. Another interesting account in which her name was spelt Lily with two L's first appeared on the internet in October of 2009. Some say Lily may not have been an abandoned child at all, but a baby who grew into a child ghost. In 1863, a woman named Gladys Ravensfield, abandoned by her husband, was admitted to the hospital after being savagely and repeatedly raped by a group of soldiers. Gladys was not only traumatized by the assault, but also found herself pregnant. Taken to Tala, she slipped deeper into madness, rocking robotically back and forth for hours. Gladys gave birth to an infant girl who survived only a short while. In this version, the staff at the hospital felt the spirit of both mother and daughter never left. Lily, the name given to the child, actually grew up there, even if it was only in spirit form. She plays games with her guests and has a fondness for sweets. Lily's tiny hand reaches out for someone to hold her. Her mother's spirit is locked forever in a state of shock and despair. Another Lily tale asserts she was indeed born at the hospital to a mother who couldn't care for her. Beloved by staff, Lily lived her short life inside the walls of Tala until her death at age nine from complications of pneumonia. Many similar stories circulate within the paranormal community with wavering details but consistent basics. Myth or mystery, what does remain is the evidence. The accounts, the EVPs, all suggesting that small female child who goes by the name of Lily roams the halls of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, making her shy and yet playful self known to visitors who come to meet her. Lily speaks, and as long as she has something to say, we will listen, regardless of her terrestrial origins. But Lily isn't the only child at Tala. Ghosts of many of the hospital's younger residents haunt the upper floors, sometimes following visitors throughout the building, even following them home. Soul Sisters Paranormal shared their experience at the asylum in a girl's room um, named Emily and in the hallway outside the room. There are multiple EVP recordings showing Emily clicking the flashlight that they left on and off as well as whispering by the girl and a man in the hallway quietly saying his name. So I actually have those EVP recordings. They are quite... they're, they're staticky, and you can hear mostly people talking, and they're kind of louder than the actual, obviously, the whispers, but I will play them and then explain to you what they're saying.
1: Yeah, lay it on
2: me. I will lay it on you, so... <laughs> So in the first one, um, they are giving her basically a, uh, a toy and she says, thank you. Um, so it's like very quiet, but like, it's clear when you're seeing the, their voice versus her voice, it's like, thank you. And then they say they're going to leave her alone. And then she goes, no, um, she doesn't want to be left alone, so they. she didn't want them to leave. And then the last one was them leaving, and it was in the hallway, and they were like, what's his name again? And the a man responds, Jim, really oh quietly. God. Yeah. So... That was just the the audio of that. Then they have other videos of the room and her turning the light on and off um, when they ask her questions and multiple lights going on and off. So um, that's pretty, pretty cool. I feel like this story is pretty mild in comparison to probably what other available hauntings are. In that asylum, but I also feel like people probably don't really want to go to the murderers part of the asylum. It sounds pretty fucking creepy. Yeah, I don't um, know if I'd feel safe doing that either. Yeah, it's pretty pretty scary. And I will say, because I didn't say where I got my information at the beginning of this, I just wanted to cite um, that I got it from America'sMostHaunted.com. Um, there's a haunted history of the tri-state and Soul Sisters paranormal.com and their experience of the trans allegheny lunatic asylum so yeah that was my uh my asylum story that was so good lily really just has made it such a big impact on everybody who's been there so i feel like i wanted to focus on on what she's done and it feels like she's the most authentic um ghost that has seen a lot of information um passed on and content from from her sightings so yeah definitely
1: the music box thing was super creepy
2: yeah for sure for sure
1: it's hard like it's children ghosts are so scary and then you like you have to remember they're still children they're just I mean some are still children children. right yeah 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 so So sad Well, did you want to move
2: on to our uh, Fuck, Mary Kills for this I week? Would, I would like to do that, yes. Okay, great. I've, I've written down a plethora of potential Geminis since we are in Gemini season. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> I do you want? So okay. You go first. Right. Okay, I'll go first. So, <laughs> I've got Johnny Depp. Okay. Paula Abdul. Okay. And Mike Myers, like okay. the comedian got you I'm going to who was the first one again Johnny Depp
1: Johnny Depp okay ooh ooh mm-hmm. really really okay so I think ooh it's so tough I can't kill Mike Myers he's a Canadian Canadian mm-hmm. I don't want to kill Johnny Depp because I believe he's a victim of abuse from his ex-girlfriend <gasps> okay okay <laughs> Which leaves Paula Abdul for me too.
2: So I would love to go back into our last Gemini fuck, Mary kill. If I used any of these and if you killed the same people, cause I want, I feel like I'm getting a flashback that you've killed Paula Abdul twice. So with different people. So I feel like you just have it out for Paula. I
1: I don't, I don't. I just, I feel like the I never really had much exposure to her music. So I, not be as treasured by me as she probably is by the rest (laughs) of the world who loves her music that's fair um i mean like my only real um exposure to her was when she was a a host on american idol and i was a child so back then i was like this woman's crazy (laughs) fair enough that's (laughs) fair killing paula abdul i will have sex with johnny depp and mary mike myers okay those are my those are mine
2: Um, what would you do? I am not as convinced in Johnny Depp being the victim of abuse. I'm not saying he wasn't abused. I just don't know if he was necessarily a victim. Um, I don't know for sure. I just, so I can't say anything. Um, Mm -hmm i will probably kill him no matter what just because okay. the roles that he has played just lead me to feel like if he did die he would just become a pirate anyway oh okay you don't think he'd come back as edward scissorhands so. no he would come back as the ghost of the pirates of the caribbean God. that dude that's what he would be and then and he marry would marry that the lady, lady. yeah that yes from deadly <laughs> beloved yes so he'd be fine okay got it he's gone got he's it he's gone um <laughs> I would marry Mike Myers and sleep with Paula Abdul just because she's got a rockin' bod, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. Okay. That's it. I'm going to hit you with... <laughs> hit me. <laughs> I'm going to hit you with Nicole Kidman.
2: Okay. Heidi Klum. Mm-hmm. And Naomi Campbell. Okay. We're killing Naomi Campbell right out the gate. Okay. She is a lot for Okay. Me feel like she's a lot um i think who's the first one uh nicole kidman okay uh we'll marry nicole kidman and sleep with heidi klum i don't think i could tolerate heidi klum's um accent for an entire life time Mm -hmm. so it's just by default me needing to not be around Heidi Klum for that length of time, okay. so Nicole Kidman gets gets the marriage, gets the Got ring. It.
1: <laughs> I'm going to. Oh God, okay, this is tough. I picked the wrong ones because it's not easy for me. I forgot I have to answer them too. <laughs> uh, ooh, I I think I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to kill Naomi Campbell because wasn't she very very mean to Tyra Banks?
2: Yes. And I love Tyra Banks. Yeah, she was. I don't. I don't know exactly, but I know that there's a reason why I don't like Naomi Campbell, and I think that's one of them.
1: Yeah, I remember that she like terrorized. Well, according she wasn't great. She like terrorized her. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with you. She's a bit much. So I'm gonna say bye bye to her. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to. I'm gonna have sex with Heidi Klum and marry Nicole Kidman. We're gonna do the same. So thing. So we're gonna do the
2: same thing, yeah. Because yeah, I that...
1: really want to know about what it's like to be married to Tom Cruise and how he's. A yeah, you want to talk to her about that? I want yeah, to that talk makes to her sense. about it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if she was like a hidden and quit it for me, that she wouldn't stick around to tell me these details that I want to know.
2: <laughs> yeah, I so agree. That's,
1: that's my
2: reason. <laughs> that's fair. All right. Well, that concludes our first official episode on the Sonar Network. So before we go, um, we do have something special to announce with the Sonar Network. We are doing a live show on Monday, May 31st. It'll be on YouTube. You can find the link on the Sonar Network and on our episode. I will include the link in our episode show notes as well. It'll probably be posted on our socials. And also if you're a patron it'll be on patreon as well so that you guys can easily click and join on the day so it's may 31st at 8 30 p.m eastern and joining us will be amanda paulson who is a paranormal investigator and she will be telling us about her experiences with the paranormal and basically doing a hometown haunts episode that is live so join us that day it should be very interesting episode. We've never done a live hometown haunts before. So
1: Yeah. And yeah. uh we're opening this one to everybody. Usually our live episodes are for patrons only, but for um joining the Sonar Network, we wanted to open it up to everybody to give everyone the experience of us being on this incredible network. So please come and join us. And <laughs> if you have questions for Amanda, you can email them to us at paranormalpod at gmail.com and maybe she'll answer your questions for you. And
2: that's it. You guys, and that's just showbiz. Sh- baby. Yeah. And stay spooky, everyone. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. If you like this episode of Paranormal, we need your help. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple. And if you listen to us on Spotify, go ahead and click the follow button. Even
1: better, you can donate to us on Patreon, where you can access bonus content and members only merch. To support your favorite spooky duo, go to patreon.com/paranormalpod.
2: And for show updates and giveaways, be sure to follow us on Instagram at paranormalpod. And remember, stay, stay spooky. Bye-bye.
3: This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network.